Good morning, church. I heard this, this interview uh, with the famous basketball coach, John Wooden. How many of you are familiar with John Wooden? Uh, let me just say, first of all, not only was he an amazing basketball coach, but he was also a, a great leader and had tremendous amount of wisdom. If you've never read any of his books, uh, I would strongly recommend reading some of his books. He was a good Christian man, and he loved God, and he loved growing people. And the interview was fantastic. I mean, it was all about his career and everything that was going on. And uh, he, he talks about, in that interview, he talks about investing his whole life in growing young leaders. This was, this was, this was an interview late in his life. Uh, one of the things... Uh, that you should know about John Wooden is that uh, he won 12 national championships with UCLA when he was at the helm. I mean, the guy was a winner in every possible way possible, <laughs> in every possible way possible. He tells the story early in his career at a high, as a high school coach. That's how far he can remember. And he was uh, coaching uh, a school called Fable of Gray. And uh, they had this winning record, as you would imagine. And uh, they were doing fantastic. And it was about mid-season, and they had just won uh, a very important game. And they decided to go out to a diner and celebrate. It was fantastic. And so they're all there, and they're celebrating. The boys are really excited, and they're, they're looking forward to the next games because they know that the next games really basically mean we're going to be going into some playoffs and we're going to get into some, uh, maybe the championship, you never know. So let's, let's, you know, let's celebrate. And they were just having a fantastic time. And while Eddie Powell is having a good time with his uh, players, with his, his, team, his team, there was one player, his name was Eddie, who was kind of sitting by himself at a table, very discouraged. He just had his head down, and he was just really kind of, you could just tell, this guy is, is, is just bumming out right now. So he decided to go ahead and just sit down and talk with him. And so he starts to talk with him. Eddie, what's the matter? Oh, nothing, coach, really. I'm good. No, no, come on. I can tell you're down. Look, we've just won. We're doing fantastic. Why on earth are you down? He goes, well, coach, I didn't contribute. I wasn't in the game. I didn't get a chance to play. I mean... I could play just as good as Bobby, and, and I could play just as good as Joey and John, but you never put me in. And Coach Wooden looks at him and says, well, Eddie, you, you don't show anything at practice. I, I mean, I have to start who I think should start. Oh, well, Coach, you've just never really given me a chance. Well, no, actually I have. I, I've seen you practice. And, and you've not given me any indication to, to prove to me that you can play, that you should start. He says, well, I just wish I had one chance. And he just, you know, I'm just as good as them. And he just kept saying this back and forth. And one of the things about Coach Wooden was that they had this, like, very sensitive, compassionate heart. You wouldn't think so. But he did. And so he turns to Eddie and he says, you know what, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'll let you start the next game. How's that sound? And Eddie goes, really? You're going to let me start? He says, yeah, I'll let you start the next game. And the moment it came out of his mouth, he realized, what am I saying? <laughs> this is not a good thing, you know? And then he goes and he meets with his, his wife, and, and he sits down, and his wife could tell something is wrong. 
And he says, uh, she says, what's the matter, honey? She's, and he says, honey, I, I, I think I made a really big mistake. Well, what's the mistake? I promised Eddie that he would start the next game. Why? Well, he was all kind of down because he couldn't start, and he was really kind of discouraged about it. And, and I just, I don't know, I just feel like, I, 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 man, I don't know. I, I didn't tell him how long he could play for. You know what I'll do is I'll put him in for two minutes. There was a guy named Armstrong who was an All-American playing for the other team. He says, I'll, play, I'll put him against Armstrong for two minutes. He'll recognize how bad he plays, and then I'll pull him out. That's what I'm going to do. And his wife said, I don't know. This may backfire on you, you know. And, she, and he's like, well, you know, I'm just, this is what I'm going to do. And so uh, <clears throat> the game was against a school called Fort Wayne Central. And they were really good. They were undefeated, and they had this guy named Armstrong on the team. He was All-American. And, in fact, the rest of the team, when they saw Eddie start, they were like, why is he starting, right? And and the coach said, no, Eddie's going to be in there. He's going to be on Armstrong. And they're like, why? You're going to get us to lose from the very start. I don't want any discussion about this. I'm just telling you right now, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start Eddie, and he's going to play defense. Eddie, I just want you to play defense. I just want you to play. I want you to make sure that Armstrong doesn't, doesn't uh, shine in any way, shape, or form. Okay, coach, I got it, I got it. We are told in the interview that Eddie Powell, for those first two minutes, shut Armstrong down. Armstrong couldn't move. Eddie's like a little guy. He's like, okay, and he's moving around, and Armstrong's like, what, what are you doing, you know? And, and he could, there was nothing he could do. And so the coach kept him in for a little longer. And sure enough, Armstrong, by the time the game was over, Eddie had played the full game. Armstrong, I believe, scored eight points that game, which was his all-time low. And, uh, in fact, Eddie uh, was able to start every game after that. And, he, and, and, and Coach Wooden is telling this in this interview. And he's talking about it. He says, in fact, Eddie Powell becomes uh, my assistant coach at UCLA. And we, are, we find out later that Eddie Powell becomes one of Coach Wooden's best friends. And when Coach Wooden is 95, he dies at 99, by the way, <laughs> lives a good long life. But when he's 95, his 83-year-old friend, Eddie Powell, goes to visit him. And they talk. And it's just an amazing thing. And then Coach Wooden stops in the middle of the interview. And he says, uh, you know, the journalists came to me after that game and said, who's this Eddie Powell guy? You were saving him this whole time, weren't you? And Coach Witten said, uh-huh, yep. And then there was this kind of long silence in this interview. And he says, what if I didn't let him start? And then I began to wonder, Coach Witten says, I wonder how many Eddies we have missed. I wonder how many Eddies I have missed. 
I wonder how many are out there that have tremendous potential and we just don't see it. And then we just don't do anything with them. And they grow up all their lives thinking that they're not worth anything, that they're not important, that they don't matter. And we have just wasted them. It was an amazing interview. I remember sitting there watching, listening. I was actually listening to this interview, and I had to put it on pause. Because I was just, I thought about that. I wonder how many I have missed. I mean, one of the things that I love doing is, is coaching people and adding value to people, helping them become the best version of themselves in Jesus Christ. That's what I love to do. But I wonder how many I've marginalized. I wonder how many I've said, you know what, I don't know about that person. I don't know about that person. How about you? See, I think one of the greatest qualities that we can have is to become potential seekers. You know what I'm talking about? How are you on seeking potential? What if this year we all made a decision to criticize less and affirm more? What if this year we decided to stand in the gap, to be a bridge between people? What if we actually looked for people that maybe, maybe sometimes they feel they're they shouldn't be, but they feel marginalized. Maybe sometimes they may have something to share and, and, and we just don't give them an opportunity. What if we look for them and we kind of partner with them, come came along beside them? What if we concentrated less on the imperfections and more on their potentials? What if we focused less on their flaws and more on their beauty? What if we had the attitude that everyone that we lock eyes with matters to God. And that God, as you've heard many times being said before, doesn't make junk. So everybody, God bless you by the way three times, everybody, <laughs> everybody matters. Everybody has gifts. Everybody has potential. We just have to figure out a way to unleash it. We got to figure out a way to discover it and help it to be pulled out of them. No. I think everybody, seriously, I don't think there's a person in this room. I don't care what you've been through. I don't know what you've done. I don't care the mistakes that you've made. We've all made them. Listen, everyone in this room is a masterpiece. We just have to figure out how to get that out of there. Sorry, it was breakfast this morning. <laughs> what if we put away our germ-finding microscopes? and pulled out stargazing telescopes. What if this year we determined to see everyone as a star? Everybody. This very wise little lady once wrote these words. I love this. She is talking about Jesus. And she says these words. She says, in every human being, Jesus discerned infinite possibilities every human being wow infinite possibilities he saw them as they might be transfigured by his grace this is why you could look at somebody like peter and go wow really jesus peter he's gonna be great looking upon them with hope 
He inspired hope. Maybe we need to start looking at each other with hope. She writes, meeting them with confidence. He inspired trust. I love this next one. Don't miss this. Revealing in himself man's true ideal. He awakened for its attainment both desire and faith. How cool is that? I don't know about you, but I want to be that kind of person. I want to be able to, I want people to, to meet me and say, I can't remember his name, but here's what I do know. When I was with them, with him, I, I felt like I was important. People talk about the difference between John F. Kennedy and uh, Lyndon Johnson. And they say, you know, whenever we met with Lyndon Johnson, it took about 10 minutes to realize what a great man he was. And when I met with John F. Kennedy, it took about 10 minutes to realize what a great man I was. See, I want to be that kind of a person, don't you? That when we, when we meet people, people can say, wow, I just feel so good with you. Thank you. And we could just unleash the greatest awesomeness out of them. She writes, in his presence, souls despised and fallen realize that they were still men. And they longed to prove themselves worthy of his regard. Wow. I don't want you to miss this. In many are hearts that seemed dead to all things, all the marginalized, all, all the people on that list that we have in the back of our mind, in many are hearts that seemed dead to all things were awakened new impulses. To many a despairing one, there opened the possibility of a new life. And so he went from town to town, Jesus, and he just gave hope. And he, he, he was, Jesus was the greatest potential seeker ever. Now, there's a guy in the Bible, in the New Testament church, who I really love because he really, he really exemplified this. And his name, was actually, his name was actually Son of Encouragement. That's what his name means. His name was Barnabas. Son of Encouragement. So I guess maybe he took that pretty seriously, right? He said, I'm, I'm going to be an encourager. In fact, we are told that he believed in Paul before anyone else did. In Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 26, we read these words. And, you know, it just seemed like, like Barnabas let no opportunity escape to empower others. He was like looking for it. He was very intentional about it. And when everybody else was very cynical about Paul. Barnabas says, it says here when in, in, in uh, chapter 26, it says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. That was Paul. But they were all afraid of him. I could get understanding that, right? Not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, I love that, but Barnabas, that word but right there, right there. That's the bridge. That's the gap. Right there. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. In other words, he vouched for him. How cool is that? He told them how Saul on his journey has seen, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached 
fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem. Why? Because of Barnabas. Speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. How cool is that? To have somebody endorse your leadership while others cynically fear you or aren't sure of you. But Barnabas, in my life, I have people like that. Do you have people like that? Can you think of people in your life? But Omar Grieve, I told you about him some months ago. But Merlin Kretschmar. But Miss Pavoni. But Tony Mazzella, who took the time to share with me about Jesus Christ. Standing in that gap, making sure that, so, that he, they would be a bridge between God and I. When I thought I was a useless, meaningless person on this earth, they said, oh no, you're not. And it's because of them that I'm here, that I can speak to you. Most of you don't know this, but I'm, I'm actually quite shy. I know it may be a shock to some of you guys, but I'm just being very honest with you. I am actually shy. In large crowds, I like to be kind of quiet inside. I, I work really hard to be an extrovert, but I'm actually, actually an introvert. I actually do better, and I get re-energized by my time alone. That's just part of who I am. That's my personality. But guess what? But Tony. But Merlin. But Omar, but Miss Pavoni, they said, oh no, oh no, you have so much to offer. Have there been people like that in your life? Have there? How are we doing today? I feel like you need to stand up and sing Father Abraham or something. Are we okay? Is it too hot in here? It is hot, isn't it? What's going on with that? I mean, I'm up here and I know it's hot, but. All right, we're going to try to go fast on this then. The Bible says in Acts chapter 12, verse 25, that uh, they bring the Barnabas. Now, decides that uh, as Paul goes and, and does his thing, it says uh, that uh, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them a young guy by the name of John. He's also known as John Mark. Sometimes he goes by John, sometimes he goes by Mark, so we're just going to call him John Mark for now. Is that okay? And he said, come on, John. He's a young guy. And John's like, awesome. I can't believe this. I get to go with, with Paul, and I get to go with Uncle Barnabas. This is going to be fantastic. And so they begin to go and experience the thrill, the adventure of church planting. And as they do that, while they're experiencing the joys and the highs, they get beaten they get spat upon, they get imprisoned, they get stoned, just in case. They get whipped, they get ridiculed, and they get discouraged. He especially. And in Acts chapter 13, we are told that he wants to get out. And John Mark says, you know, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going home. And he leaves Barnabas and Paul high and dry. Got to go. Sorry. 
you would think that that's enough for us to say, well, okay, then, look, you know, Uncle Barnabas did a good job, you know. In fact, he goes back home. And just so you know where home is, come with me to Acts chapter 12 for a second. Beginning with verse 12, it says here, uh, this is a little story on the side, just so you know where Mark comes from. John Mark comes from. It says, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John. Talking about the apostle Peter, when he had been imprisoned and was set free. So he goes to the house of this lady named Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. There he is again, John Mark. Apparently they couldn't figure out what to call him. So it's John, Mark, Mark, John, John, Mark. Where many people had gathered and were, and were praying. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She ran back without opening it. <laughs> another story, we'll preach about this another time, but it's pretty funny actually. And exclaimed, Peter's at the door. And of course, they were like, you're out of your mind. That's an angel. And sure enough, it was Peter. And Mark was there. This is where he goes back to. And when he goes back there, I believe, now the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I believe that he feels a bit of shame. He feels a bit of, a bit, a bit of, res, of resentment. He feels a bit of, of discouragement because he let Barnabas and Paul down. I mean, I would, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you feel discouraged? Wouldn't you feel like I let them down? I really wanted to do this. I missed the adventure. I just don't miss being whipped. I missed the thrill and seeing people's faces as they accepted Christ as their Savior. I just don't miss being thrown into prison and getting rocks thrown at me. And I think he talks to Uncle Peter and Uncle Jim a bit. And he says, you know, look, I blew it. What should I do? And, you know, I, I can't help but think that Uncle Peter said, look, I, I want to tell you about a time that I blew it. I want to tell you about a time that I betrayed Jesus. I want to tell you about that. You can pick up the pieces. He will forgive you. He will give you new vision, new strength, new joy. You can do this. I know you can. I love this. And then it says in Acts chapter 15, turn with me there. It'll be on the screen too, by the way. And this is an interesting part of the Bible because, you know, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it's about real people with real issues. Have you noticed that? You read the Bible and you're like, really? Like these are not always holy, great, fantastic people. There's always... there's. There are challenges amongst God's people. Did you know that? If you think like we have problems, listen, we've inherited those problems because we're humans and sinners. And they had the same thing. People have differences of opinions. People have different goals. Is that okay? Sure it is. And this is an exact example of this. It's John chapter 15 beginning with verse 36. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, okay, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. 
Okay, let's go back. Let's revisit. Let's see how they're doing. And so Barnabas wanted to take who? John, who's also called Mark. <laughs> I love that. Just make sure we know that it's not any other John. It's this John Mark guy, right? With them. But check this out. But Paul did not think it was, it was wise to take him. Because, why? Because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And listen to what it says. This is in the Bible. All right? You can read it right there. It says, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. They had such a sharp disagreement. Two wonderful believers wonderful brothers in Christ. They have been working together. The Bible says they now have this very intense, sharp disagreement. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. So catch what's happening here. This is really important. Barnabas, who just believes that people matter more than anything else, is sitting there going, come on, let's give... John Mark, another chance. We can do, I know he can do this. And Paul's going, no way. We've got work to do. And, and so Paul is extremely goal-oriented. He's extremely like, we got to go. we got to move. I'm sorry. I know how you feel about him, but there's no way on earth I'm taking him. And Barnabas is going, but this is John Mark. This is my I love this guy. Listen, I think he's learned a lot. He's been talking to Uncle Pete and Uncle Jim. Everything's fine, really. I think he, he's going, no, no way. I'm not going to do that again. He left us high and dry. But but Paul, and they go back and forth, and finally Paul says, look, I'm done. And Barnabas says, fine, I'm done too. And he says, I'm going to take Mark, and we're going to do our thing. And, and Paul says, no problem, I'll get somebody else. I'll get Silas and go with me. Now, neither one of them were wrong. They just had different goals, different ways of doing things. Does that make sense? This is extremely important to understand. We have difference of opinions, different ways of doing things. Sometimes this happens. Because Barnabas was really more about growing leaders. Paul was more about getting the word out as much as possible. And they're both important, wouldn't you say? So Uncle Barnabas does not give up on him. What if I could be that bridge, he's thinking, between God and John Mark? What if, what, if, what if all that John Mark needs is somebody to encourage him? And so Barnabas begins to spend some time with John Mark. He doesn't give up on him. And he begins to encourage him all along and takes him with him, begins to show him the rope, begins to do things a little slower maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe avoid some of the more dangerous things, you know, baby steps. <laughs> you know, and it gets a little bit more intense. And, 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 and John Mark is just taking all of this in. He's just, this, this, this concept of personal investment, this, this idea of, of, of making this, Amazing risk of love. You know, love is risky, isn't it? See, when we invest in somebody, that's a risky thing. Your reputation is on the line. Is that okay? I'm okay with it. 
Barnabas was okay with it. Now here's the most amazing part of this whole story. Sometime later, Paul and Silas had been doing what they'd been doing and doing what they'd been doing, and then Paul gets arrested. And he's spending some time at the Roman jail. And he's writing letters. And he's writing to Timothy, one of the young guys that he decided to invest in. Right? And I want you to miss this because this is amazing. This little passage is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It will be on the screen, beginning with verse 9. Catch this. Do your best to come to me quickly, Timothy. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're starting to kind of express dungeon talk is what I call it. It's, it's discouraging. And he was there and, and he was tired. He doesn't know what his future looks like. But he's still committed to one thing. What is that? Preaching the gospel. And listen to what he says. For Demas... Because he loved this world, has deserted me, and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas was another guy that had gone, but now he's gone. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. They don't want to be with me in jail, I guess. They don't want to be here. They're afraid. And then it says this, only Luke is with me. You know who Luke is, right? He's the guy that wrote the book of Luke. He's a doctor, right? He's with the Apostle Paul. And then he says these words. Don't miss it. Get Mark. Get Mark, Timothy. I need you to get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Did you catch that? Once Paul began to hear that that John Mark had gone through what he had gone through and had learned and it was wor walking with, working with uh, Uncle Pete and all the things were going on. He's like, you know, now nah, I need that guy. I want him. That's what, that guy is loyal. I should have taken him from day one. He is loyal. And I'm so sorry. I'm glad that he went through what he went through. I'm glad he's learned. But please, in fact, some versions say he is profitable to me for the gospel. Wow. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul saying that about you? The Apostle, the greatest evangelist that ever lived saying things like, whoa, that guy, Noah, he is profitable to me. Derek, he is profitable to me for the gospel. Wow, think about that. Brian, you are profitable. Please, come. You, I need you. That's just unbelievable to me. I don't know. Is, that, is, it, is it just me? But I just think about, wow, how could this be? And guess what? He goes. John Mark goes and gets beaten and he gets stoned and he gets whipped and he gets spit upon. He gets ridiculed and he gets imprisoned just like before. But this time, he doesn't care. In fact, we are told that John sets up a church in Alexandria. How cool is that? 
we are told that he writes the Gospel of Mark. You know the Gospel of Mark? That's John Mark. Shortest Gospel. It's a good one to read. We don't have time. John Mark. The book of Mark. And he literally gives his life as a martyr for the kingdom of God. Wow. Just because somebody named Barnabas said, I'm going to be a potential seeker and I'm going to invest in you. And one day, even Paul will recognize what an asset you are to the kingdom of God. What would, what, what would happen if we did that? What if we did that? What if we took people and said, look, you've got so much potential. There's just so much you can do. I know you may not think so, and I know you're scared, but man, let me tell you, God's going to do great things through you. You are a masterpiece for the kingdom of God. As you all know, or uh, well, most of you know, I, every year I go to this event called The Catalyst. And uh, been going for years. Friend Spencer goes with me. And uh, we meet a bunch of people there. It used to be just four of us, and now it's like 30 of us sometimes. I don't know. It's crazy. We used to be able to save seats. <laughs> Not anymore. But I want to tell you about 2009. Probably the most amazing moment of Catalyst experience that I've ever had. Catalyst is a leadership retreat that you go to, and you, it's great stuff. You learn a lot of things, and there's, they're just uh, really, uh, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. I mean, it's just, a lo you know, you go, you go away, you better have taken some notes or something because it's just too much to take in at once. And, and they do different things, different they have all kinds of different things to keep you engaged. And one of the things they're really big on is Compassion International. I don't know if you're familiar with Compassion International, but Compassion International is a fantastic uh, ministry that helps uh, believers uh, adopt uh, young children and help them uh, not only give them food and education, but also uh, biblical knowledge, which is great, right? I love that about Compassion. We've, we've uh, adopted Compassion kids through the years, and it's fantastic. Now, I want to tell you this. Some of, some of you may already have, some of you have them, and um, this is not a commercial for, for Compassion, but I just want you to know about it. This particular day, uh, they wanted to interview somebody that had been in Compassion for over uh, almost 20 years. Think about that, right? And in fact, we are told that uh, Jimmy Wambua, that's his name, Jimmy Wambua uh, has his own compassion child. So he had been a compassion child, and now he has his own compassion child. At four years old, his mother fell sick. He never knew his dad, and he was given to relatives. He lived in Kenya. At seven years old, he watched his sister die of starvation. He walked the slums before dawn just to scavenge some food. April of 1990, at the age of eight, 1990, at the age of eight, 
someone from Canada, some guy named Mark, just Mark by itself, Mark, <laughs> sponsored him as a Compassion International child. Now, at that time, Mark was 20 years old. And when he was 20 years old, he had experienced a conversion that was just, just had changed his life. And he wanted, he wanted to sponsor a child. He wanted to do something meaningful. And they began to send letters to each other, these beautiful letters. And he would send them letters, look, God loves you. And from that moment, Jimmy's life changed. Today, he's at Moody Bible Institute to become a pastor. How wild is that? I'm actually going to show you a clip from that moment at the Catalyst. Now, I, 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 men, I want to warn you. I've watched this several times, and I still cannot watch it without crying. So let me just warn you now, men. Women, it's okay. We all know that you guys cry. That's all good. Men, you're going to act like you don't, but let it go. Don't worry about it. It's, it's all good. Don't say I didn't warn you. Mark said, what if? What if I stand in the gap? What if I take somebody on? and bring out the best in them. Some little boy from Kenya, some little boy who had no hope at all. And today, he is such an amazing kingdom difference maker, amen? Cowardly leaders ask the question, is that person safe? Politicians ask the question, is that person profitable? Vain leaders ask, is that person popular? But potential seekers ask, what if I could invest in somebody's life and help them across the threshold of eternity? I think, I, think, I think that's what God has called us to do. Don't you? I think God, the reason why we, we relate to that is because God has called us to that. So I want us to make a commitment. And the commitment is that from this day forward, every eye that we lock eyes with, we recognize they matter to God. As soon as we see somebody, the first thing we say to ourselves is, this person matters to God. Just practice that. Greet them with hope, with confidence. See them with infinite possibilities. Can you imagine what could happen? In a few moments, uh, the worship team is going to lead us in a song. I want to read you these words from this song. It's, they're so beautiful. And I remember how you found me. In that very same place, all my failings surely would have drowned me. Still, you made a way. You are my freedom. 
Jesus, you're the reason I'm kneeling again at the throne. Where would I be without you here in my life? Where would I be without you here in my life? Amen? Bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we, we hear so many voices in our head. And sometimes it is hard to decipher the ones that you want us to hear, Lord. So let those of us who want to make a difference in people's lives, may our voices be loud. May they drown out the voices of the negative, dream-killing voices that we so often hear because this world is so broken and, 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 and so desperately needs to hear your voice, your voice of hope, your voice of confidence. Lord, help us to become the masterpieces that you have designed for us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.